Harvard psychologist and researcher Daniel Gilbert opens his best-selling book, Stumbling on Happiness, with what he calls the sentence. The sentence begins with this. The human being is the only animal that... And then he invites you to fill in the blank. Gilbert argues that every college professor needs to be able to, answer, to, to finish that sentence. So how did Gilbert finish the sentence? What did he say was the defining feature of humanity? Gilbert said this. The human being is the only animal that thinks about the future. Human beings think about the future in a way that no other animal can, does, or ever has. And this simple, ordinary act is the defining feature of our humanity, according to Harvard psychologist and researcher Daniel Gil Gilbert. We're in a series simply called Human, where we've been looking at what it means to be a human being from a biblical, biblical perspective. And we started out very basic, just exploring the difference between be human beings and an other animals, uh, with most of us, I think, coming to the conclusion that human beings, while an animal in a biological sense, are not merely highly evolved animals. We possess attributes and characteristics that differ not just in degree, but in kind from the rest of the animal kingdom. Traits and attributes that defy natural explanation and cannot be accounted for by the evolutionary process. Um, this was largely the focus of the first message in this series, which was titled Imago Dei. The point being that human beings, uh, according to the Bible, are the only creatures on earth created in the Imago Dei, uh, in the image and likeness of God. Ima Imago Dei is Latin for image of God. Um, which means that we have s certain very unique and special traits and characteristics that animals don't have such as the ability to reflect on meaning and purpose, to question our existence, to contemplate things like morality and justice, to ask why, and to think about and reflect on the future. If you're interested in diving deeper into this topic about the difference between human beings and animals, there are a lot of great books and resources out there, including a great book by philosopher and theologian Kenneth Samples titled A World of Difference. Um, I encourage you to check some of those things out. But according to Daniel Gilbert, uh, the, the Harvard scholar, um, according to his book Stumbling Upon Happiness, the average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future, roughly one out of every eight hours. We have the ability to imagine years, we have the ability to imagine uh, events years in a, into the future. Uh, when we have positive thoughts about our future, we call that what? We call that hope, right? When we have a positive thought about the future. The Greek word for hope is the word elpis which literally means a favorable and confident expectation about the future. Webster's Dictionary defines hope this way, the feeling that what is wanted and can be had uh, or that events will turn out... Uh, excuse me, let me try that again. Uh, the definition, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Um, we all have hopes 
about the future. And this favorable and confident expectation about the future is not just an ability that is unique to us as human beings, but it seems to be a fundamental need that we human beings have. It seems that we have a, a very difficult time living without it, without hope. When we have no hope, we begin to shrivel up inside and deteriorate very quickly. Here's an example. During the Vietnam War, Hal Kushner, a major in the U.S. Army and a, and a prisoner of the Viet Cong for more than five years, he describes one of his fellow prisoners as being a 24-year-old Marine who had made a deal with his captors. The Marine had agreed to cooperate with, his, uh, with the Viet Cong, and in return, the commander of the prison promised that he would let him go. And so the young Marine cooperated. He became a model prisoner and even uh, was the leader of the camp's thought reform group. But after a while, it became clear to him that the camp commander had lied and that the Viet Cong actually had no intention of releasing him. And this is how Major Kushner described what happened to the Marine. He said, when the full realization of this took hold, he became a zombie. He refused to do all work. He rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply lay on his cot, listless, and in a matter of weeks, he was dead. If the cause of hope could be summarized in one word, I, I think it would be hopelessness. I think this young man died of hopelessness. If hope is the favorable and confident expectation about the future, then hopelessness could be described as the absence of a favorable and confident expectation of the future. And sadly, this is one of the defining characteristics of our present generation. The number of people, especially young people, who have an extremely low level of confidence about the future and are in fact very pessimistic about the future is on the rise hopelessness, the lack of a favorable and confident expectation about the future. And what seems obvious to me and probably obvious to, to many of you is, is how the rise of this hopelessness appears to follow the same curve as the rise in the number of those who are skeptical about religion and faith and the existence of God. I understand that correlation is not necessarily causation, but sometimes there's a connection. More and more people are declaring themselves to be agnostic in matters of faith and religion, uh, though the vast majority of them can't quite buy into what the atheists believe either, that there is no God, because that's just a little too hopeless. We seem to like to hang on to at least the possibility that there is something, some kind of God or superior being or ultimate power. There's something out there something more, more for us human beings than, than our brief, pointless animal existence. Years ago, I officiated a funeral for an elderly lady uh, who had been coming to our church. She was actually brought by her daughter who would wheel her in in a wheelchair. Um, she really didn't talk much. I, I think she might have had a stroke. Um, she was well along in years toward the end of her life. But, but she was very visibly moved by the music and the preaching, and often you could see tears streaming down her cheeks during the service. And according to her daughter, she had been an atheist most of her life. And at her funeral during the eulogy, I talked about how uh, she had been coming to hope for about a, the past year and how she seemed to be really enjoying it and moved by the whole experience, though she really wasn't able to communicate that 
verbally. I didn't really give a heavy evangelistic, you know, message in the eulogy, at least not in my mind. But I did read uh, the verse from John 14 that says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. I quoted that verse. And after my... Um, short little message I, I opened it up for family and friends to share their favorite memory of of her and and things were going pretty well until one of her close relatives uh, got up and, and finally let out uh, what they had apparently been bottling up since my eulogy they wanted to make it clear to everyone that their dearly departed was not a christian she did not believe in god she was way too smart for that and though though they didn't say it directly they they obviously took offense at my suggesting that she was in any way a person of faith well this encouraged several others to stand and share similar thoughts and it suddenly became clear to me that almost everyone there was either an agnostic or, or an atheist and probably maybe i and i think marion hollis was there maybe me and marion were the only two uh, actual believers there and i think the, the, the daughter was there too who had been bringing her mom to church so <laughs> uh a little awkward um so so how did i handle that situation well i'll let you decide if, if i handled this appropriately I, I had noticed that many if not most of the people in the group were were avid star trek fans i know it's like where are you going jim <laughs> um I think one or two even included some Star Trek references in their speeches, and I observed lots of, lots of nods of agreement among the listeners. But uh, my options are pretty limited, um, and a funeral is not the time or place to launch a debate about the existence of God, obviously. Um, so here's what I did. After everyone had their opportunity to share, I walked up to the podium, I apologized if my remarks offended anyone, and explained that it was not my intention to offend anyone, anybody, but rather only to offer the possibility of a hope that, that you, the, the listeners, that, that you may in fact see her again one day, alive, more alive than you've ever seen her before, and that though she had had a long and happy life on earth, her life may in fact continue on into eternity, and that that hope might perhaps be of some comfort to at least some of you. And then I concluded by adding this, live long and prosper. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, to the Trekkies, I became a Trekkie that I might win the Trekkies. And by the way, um, shortly after that, I, I actually discovered that this sign has its origins in Judaism. Uh, it is a gesture intended to form the, the Hebrew letter Shin, which, is, which represents the name Shaddai, which means Almighty God. And a certain branch uh, of Orthodox Jews, the Kohanim, uh, uh, still use that sign during uh, a blessing ceremony called the Nishaya Kapayim. Um, you can fact check me on that. I found it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Abraham Lincoln actually uh, said that. I don't know if that's true or not. You can fact check me. But anyway, uh, here's the bottom line. If there is no God, there is no hope. If there's no God, there's no hope. Um, if there's no God, there's no reason to hope, really. I mean, you can wish for things and hope that you get to experience certain things or enjoy certain things sometimes before you die. 
which would still be something that is, is uniquely human, you know, something only humans are capable of doing, that kind of wishful thinking. But I, my, my point today is going to be that wishful thinking, just wishing, is, is, is a very degraded form of hope. It's, it's not, we shouldn't waste our hope on things that are ultimately of no value. Um, but this, this kind of wishful thinking, in the end, you I mean you die, and then none of it will have mattered because you can't take any of those th- memories with you because you're not going anywhere if there is no God, right? I mean, we kind of all get that, right? I want to remind you today of something. You know, we've talked about this before. It's actually been around for some time. You may have seen it on billboards and bumper stickers in times past. And if you've been coming for, to Hope for any length of time, you've, you've seen it here. And it's a great reminder, and here it is. Um, did I, I must have skipped a couple here. Did you not see any of these? Okay, there it is. Okay. Um, here it is. No God, no hope. No God, no hope. All right, I got it. These are all, I'm going to go back over here. <laughs> I don't know why this always happens to me. Um, somehow I got these all out of order. No God, no hope. No God, no hope. There it is. And if you're listening online, I'm spelling this different. The first phrase, no God, no hope. K-N-O-W, God, no hope. Uh, the second phrase, no God, N-O God, no hope. I'm sure you've probably seen that before. Um, where does our unique ability to manage, to, to, to I- imagine the future? Unique among all living creatures, only human beings have this capacity. Where does it come from? How is it that we are not only able to think about and imagine the future, but we also have hopes about the future and can actually work toward those hopes to experience a favorable and confident expectation about it. Where does that come from? And I'd like to suggest that regardless of where you are on your faith journey, if you're honest, you'd have to consider at least the possibility that this comes from God, that God is actually the source of hope. Atheists can't help but to find themselves in a state of continual cognitive dissonance. On on the one hand, they say that we human beings invented God to help us feel better about ourselves and to give us some kind of feeling of hope. Hope that there is something beyond the here and now, our mere animal existence. Then on the other hand, they actually spend huge amounts of energy and even money, you know, even taking out ad campaigns, promoting ideas and slogans uh, such as don't worry, there's probably no God. Uh, there's an atheist group in, the great, in great Britain that took, spent tens of thousands of dollars with billboards, uh, on billboards saying that. Don't worry, there's probably no God. <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians living in Rome in around, around 57 AD, in his letter to them, he includes a prayer. And I want you to keep in mind as we read this prayer that arguably the most corrupt Caesar ever to bear the title, Caesar Nero, had already been in office for three years at the time that Paul wrote this letter. Nero, among all the Roman Caesars, was, was probably the most violent and aggressive persecutor of Christians. 
Here's Paul's prayer to the Christian, for the Christians living in Rome in A.D. 57. He says, May the God of hope, pausing here, the Roman, pagan Romans uh, had a God of thunder, they had a God of the sea, they had a God of war. You and I have as our Father the God of hope. I mean, just think about that. That's what he wants to be known as. The God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Not just give you joy and peace, but fill you. The Greek word there is plevru, and it's often translated in the New Testament as fulfill. Paul says, may the God of hope fulfill you. And not just with joy and peace, but fulfill you with all joy and peace, as opposed to some. As you trust in Him. This is how hope happens. Through trust in God, we get hope. As you trust in Him, so that uh, this, is, this is God's objective, so that this is the result that God is after, so that your, so that you may overflow with hope. Not just that you may have hope, but that you may overflow with hope. Paul is reaching for the most dramatic words and language here to convey this idea. Uh, he just doesn't want you to have hope, but to overflow with hope, more hope than you need, spilling over onto others by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a hope you can manufacture or conjure up in your own power. The source of this hope is, is the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a universal reality. In this life, uncertainty is unavoidable. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what you do for a living, how, un how educated or uneducated you are, how much money you have or don't have, uncertainty is unavoidable. Uncertainty is for certain. The only thing for certain in this life is uncertainty. And increasingly, people are giving in to despair and despondency over the uncertainty of their future, some perhaps even uh, to the point of abusing drugs and alcohol as a way of numbing their hopelessness and a growing number, uh, sadly, even to suicide. All the while, the God of hope has his arms extended. He is reach he's reaching out to the hopeless masses, calling them to come to him and let him give them hope. And you go, I, I've, I've never seen God holding out his arms. Uh, how does he hold his arms out? Well, for one, through you and me. Through his followers, his sons and daughters. That's his plan. Through us, through his church. And not just this church, but through churches all over Santa Barbara, throughout California, throughout the U.S. and, and, and the world. 
Peter, an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus, who was ultimately martyred, he was ultimately a martyr for his hope in Jesus. He wrote this. And at this point, Gabe, I'm going to need you to help me with the slides because it's reconnecting. I, I have nothing on my screen here. So if you could put up the next one. Yeah. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, this implies here that the hope that you have is something that people can see. They notice it, and then they say, why are you so hopeful? Uh, and they want to know about it. See, we're invited to be, in fact, we're called to be people of hope because we of all people have the one and only true reason to be filled with hope. We have an all-powerful God of compassion and love working on our behalf every moment of every day. And the closer you get to God, the more you realize that is true. He's doing that. You may oftentimes be unaware of it, but even as the song we just sang, even though I can't see that he's working, even though I don't feel that he's working, he never stops. He never stops working. That's the hope that we have. And as you grow in your faith, that's the knowledge that gives you that hope. And no matter how uncertain your future may, may seem to you, you can have a favorable and confident expectation about what lies ahead for you because you have as your Father the God of hope. You have as your Father the God of hope who wants to fill you with all joy and peace. Next slide, please. Let's go back to that one. He wants to fill you with all joy and peace that you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Sometime after Paul wrote these words uh, to the Christians living in Rome, persecution began to grow more and more intense. Uh, there, there are ancient documents that have, been, that have survived the first century that describe the kind of persecution these early Christians experienced. These documents aren't part of the Bible, but they are, they are records, some of them by various Roman officials who weren't even Christians, um, but they chronicled the events of that time. And one of these documents was written by a doctor. And one of the jobs of the doctor in, in those days was to get out, go out into the arena after the Christians had been mauled by wild animals uh, to examine the bodies. O only doctors were allowed to touch or examine uh, a dying or, de or deceased body in the ancient Roman Empire. A man named Galen was such a doctor. And some of his writings survived antiquity, and this doctor wrote about Christians during this time. Not a, not a Christian, he was a pagan Roman doctor. And this is what he said. Let's put that next one up there. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. This was his observation, and it was a shared observation. He obviously compared notes with other people, he, he, and he wrote this. He said, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. Those Christians knew that uncertainty is certain. And they very likely knew that the future for them would, would quite possibly contain some suffering or hardship of some kind because of their faith. Some of them may have even been aware of the death sentence that they faced for, faced for believing in Jesus. Yet believed they did. They believed. They possessed a hope and were possessed by a hope that was so strong and powerful it actually mitigated their fear and left them unshakable with a favorable and confident expectation about the future, even in the face 
of death. How could this be? Well, because they knew the hope they possessed went far, far beyond the mere wishful thinking of this temporary life. Let me ask you a very important question. Does your version of Christianity give you that kind of hope? Does the hope we possess as followers of Jesus result in that kind of fearlessness and devotion and confidence? There are Christians in other parts of the world today, right now, who are losing their jobs, who are, some, some are losing their families, some are even losing their lives, they're dying because of the hope they possess in Jesus. They would rather die than let go of the hope that God has given them. Does your version of Christianity produce that kind of hope? Or does it simply produce a kind of wishful thinking? You know, like when you wish upon a star. You know, fairy tale wishes of living happily ever after in your own little kingdom, surrounded by your own little fans and your own little toys. Here's what I would say is the main difference between a wish and a hope. And, and I, I'd say there's a lot of differences. We could probably all come up with our own list of the differences between wishing and hoping. But here's a big one. A wish can come true and still leave you hopeless. Some of those who struggle the most with hopelessness and depression and fears about the future and who turn to drugs and alcohol and chemical dependency uh, to deal with their hopelessness are people who have had many, if not most, of their wishes in this life come true. We talked about this earlier in this series. And yet they still find themselves in a state of hopelessness. They could have almost anything you could possibly wish for in this life, and yet they are still hopeless. The Christians living and dying in the Middle East today because of the hope they have in Jesus would likely look at us and wonder, you're worried about what? The early disciples would look at us and say, your hope is in, is in what? You're, ho you're hoping for what? While hope in and of itself is, is so powerful, something human beings appear to be uniquely wired for and created with, it can lead to great disappointment and despondency if we put our hope in the wrong things. Don't waste your hope on unworthy things. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that first verse we looked at today, he wrote to Timothy, to whom he had given the assignment of, of appointing, leaders in very, uh, appointing leaders in various churches around the place. He said, he said this, he said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't put your hope in wealth, looking to that to provide you an enjoyment. That's very uncertain. But understand, real joy and real fulfillment in life doesn't come from that. It comes from God. But you're hoping that. Many verses in the Psalms give us warnings like this one in Psalm 118. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your hope in human leaders. <laughs> There's a verse, memory verse for today. Wouldn't you say? Better to put your trust in the Lord than to put your hope in human leaders. God has invited us into a magnificent hope, a favorable and optimistic perspective about our future. And not only has he invited us into this hope, but he has commissioned us, he has appointed us to carry out and uh, carry and supply this hope to a world in desperate need of such hope. 
but we will only possess this hope if it is rooted in God himself and by extension in his plans and purposes for our lives, his will and his design and his ultimate destination for us. If our hope is merely rooted in the relatively meaningless, temporary, shallow things of this disintegrating world, we will miss the magnificent, unshakable hope that God has created us for. Don't waste your hope on unworthy things. So Jim, so Jim, are you saying the only hope we should have is hope that one day we will die and then maybe go to heaven? Sorry, that doesn't sound like much of a hope for me. Well, that's actually a tremendous hope. Actually, that's that's an amazing hope, one that we all should have and rejoice in and possess. But that's actually not what I'm saying right now. The hope that God created you to possess and live in is a hope you can live in right now, in this world, and, and is a hope for this life and not just the next life. Here's the hope that we have. The God, the God of hope created you with purpose, a purpose in this life, in this world. When God created you, he created you to be something and to do something. He created you with purpose and for a purpose in this life. And that purpose in this life extends into the next life. He created you with a mission in mind for this life something only you can fulfill. And you will only find true peace in this life and genuine joy when you are living in and fulfilling that purpose. You're not going to find a tension-free, burden-free life as we talked about last week, but you will find a life of joy and fulfillment even in the midst of whatever hardship, tension, or suffering that you may endure while as you live out God's unique purpose for your life. Psalm 27 says, I know that I will live to see the Lord's goodness in this present life. Trust in the Lord. Have faith. Do not despair. Trust in the Lord. And remember that God's purpose for us probably is not simply to be comfortable and enjoy all the conveniences and niceties uh, and flesh, you know, you know, niceties the fleshly desires of our animal nature might crave. I mean, we're we're made for more than that. Our, our, you know, God's purpose is not for us just to live comfortably, but to actually kind of li- learn to step out of our comfort zone and learn to discover what it is that, that God has purposed us for. God created you to be something and to do something that has significance for his kingdom and his eternal purposes. And fully living that out it's a journey. It's not something that you typically just instantly arrive at. But it's more like a road you step onto, a path that you begin to walk down. You often stumble as you walk down that road. This is part of the tension we talked about last week, the tension that you feel when you slip into the yoke of Jesus, that, the yoke that he invites you into. There's, there's a learning process, which is why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Don't waste your hope on unworthy things. 
but let me leave you with some practical advice from Dr. Caroline Leaf's daily devotional, uh, which is titled Switch on Your Brain Every Day. It's a devotional, one of the devotions I read every day. Uh, Dr. Leaf is a brilliant neuroscientist. She studies the human brain, and she's also a, a devoted follower of Jesus with great insights to this topic uh, in particular. This is what she writes in her daily devotional for, uh, for day 287, which was actually this was just last Friday. Uh, she starts by by uh, quoting 2 Corinthians 2.4. I took a screenshot of the devotional just so you could see how she organizes her stuff. So this is, she starts off with this. For this reason, since we have this work entrusted to us in accordance with the mercies we have received, we don't lose heart. What is this work that has been entrusted to us? Well, it's, it's our unique purpose and calling that God has for our lives in the here and now, which is what your hope is designed to fuel according to the mercies we have received. What are these mercies that we have received? Well, they're numerous, but it's all the things that God has given you, you know, the things that he's entrusted you with. You might think of it as a combination of your circumstances, perhaps your vocation, your experiences, your aptitudes and abilities, your interests and opportunities, your unique personality, all combined together with, with God's abundant and amazing goodness, grace, and forgiveness. So that is the mercies that he's given us. For this reason, since we have this work entrusted to us in accordance with the mercies we have received, we don't lose heart. And Dr. Leaf always includes a daily brainy tip. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but it's just a little box there. But brainy tip. Uh, and on this day, the brainy tip was, when you fall, pick yourself up. If you focus on your failures, you will continue to fail. Great little brainy tip. Let's go to the next slide. This is, and then here she just writes a brief application of that verse and a brainy tip. And I'll just read this for you because I know it's too small to read on the screen. We live in a world of probabilities. We have the creative power in our mind to transform these possibilities into realities. Remember, she's a neuroscientist and, understand, and, and knows how the brain works. And she makes the argument that this is our default thing. We have the power to transform these possibilities into re reality. Things that are unique to human beings. Animals can't do this. So choose to develop a mindset that allows you to perceive possibilities so that the hard, so that the wired for love design of your brain can be activated to respond. Stop yourself immediately if you catch yourself thinking, there's no way out, or I'm a failure. Take that thought captive and replace it with, I cannot be a failure because I'm wired for success. I am designed to reflect God's glory into the world. It's powerful. Do not let what other people have said about you or what you may, may have said about yourself hold you back from living out God's plan for your life. Here's the hope we have. We have been lovingly created by God for a purpose. And that purpose is good and pleasing and when we put our faith and trust in him, we will live out that purpose, which will result in great fulfillment and joy, even if it may include some degree of hardship along the way. That's what it means to be human. 
You were created for a purpose and you will find great joy and fulfillment and freedom in it when you are fully living in it. And God is committed to making that a reality in your life. And failure does not reflect God's image and likeness. He has not destined you for failure. So understand and believe that you are destined for success. This is a powerful hope that God intends with you, uh, intends for you to live with every day. Your defeat does not reflect God's image and likeness. So understand and believe that God has not destined you for defeat, but for victory. That doesn't mean we won't experience failure or defeat along the way, but we know that those things are temporary and that, they, and that we learn and grow from them. Only your successful flourishing in soul and spirit is God's glorious in, in image and likeness reflected through you. And that is what God has destined you for, flourishing, because he's a God of love. And he doesn't create, he doesn't create things that weren't designed to flourish. Look what Paul wrote to the Christians living in Ephesus he's, in the first century. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. Again, reaching for the most dramatic language possible. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you can see the hope to which he has called you. You can see the hope to which he has called you. I don't know what your hopes are for today. I don't know what your hope is in. But if you're struggling with hopelessness today, here's what I, in fact, worship team, why don't you guys come up? I want to give you one last verse. In fact, we're going to, this can be our memory verse for this week. We're going to memorize a verse right now. Uh, and it's a very short verse, so it'll be really easy for us to, to memorize this. Here it is. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I think I gave you this memory verse some time ago. You, so you should already know this. Let's just read this out loud together. Ready? Go. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and know that God wants you to live in hope. No matter what the, the future may look like from an earthly perspective. Sometimes we look at the future from in front, if we're looking simply from an earthly perspective, it does look kind of dark and gloomy and hopeless, but we're not to look from an earthly perspective. We're to allow God to open our eyes and to enlighten our minds so that we can see that there's something far greater than us just having a comfortable and safe and secure existent future in this world. The, the early followers of Jesus said, that is all actually, they, Paul actually word, used the word dung. That's all just like dung. It's trash. It's rubbish. In comparison with the hope that we can live in when we really catch a glimpse of God's purpose and will and design for us in this life, in this life. Um, next Sunday, you're going to want to be here. Of course, you want to be here every Sunday. But especially next Sunday, whatever you got going that might take you away from church, cancel it 
and come here because next Sunday, Charles Ryu is going to share his amazing story about his incredible escape from North Korea. Charles uh, is a member here at Hope with his wife, Maddie. He grew up in North Korea but was orphaned at a young age, which thrust him into a life of extreme hardship and peril. And as a teenager, he decided he needed to figure out a way to escape from communist North Korea. He's going to share his incredible story with us next week. So make sure you're here. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what an incredible thing that you have created us for hope. That you have created us hardwired hope into us. And yet so often we allow all kinds of things to rob us of that hope. Just pointless, meaningless things, political things, uh, weather things, I don't know, economic things. We allow such meaningless things to rob us of the hope, the powerful hope that you have created us for. And Lord, forgive us for that and enlighten the eyes of our heart today so that we can see the glorious hope that you've called us to and we can begin to live in it and actually begin to 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 dig deep into the purposes that you have created us for the eternal purposes that you have created us for in the context of our day-to-day, in the context of our jobs and our vocation, there's something more than just that. There, you've called us to something far greater. And it has to do with us extending hope to the people around us and, and being prepared to give a reason for that hope, which is your great love and grace, mercy and forgiveness, God. Make us channels of your hope, we pray in Jesus' name.